You're listening to the Rocky Mountain UFO Podcast with Doc Pearson. I'd like to welcome everybody to this episode of the RM UFO Podcast. And today I'm talking to the legendary Billy Carson. Billy is a legend in the UFO community. He's an entrepreneur and a renaissance man who owns multiple businesses. He's the director, writer, and star of the upcoming movie, The Black Knight Satellite Beyond the Signal. Billy Carson is also the best-selling author of The Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. Billy is also an expert host on the new original streaming series by Gaia named Deep Space. The series is an exploration of the secret space program and the types of technologies being used along with their potential origins. Billy also is an expert on Gaia's original series, Ancient Civilizations. Mr. Carson earned a certificate of science with an emphasis on neuroscience at MIT, among his most notable achievements. Billy is also the CEO of First Class Space Agency based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Specifically, a space agency is involved in the research and development of alternative propulsion systems and zero-point energy devices. Billy is also the founder of Pantheon Elite Records. The label features five conscious music artists, including himself. Billy Carson is also the contributor to Thrive Global and is a registered international journalist. And along with all that, he's the founder of Forbidden Knowledge TV. So Billy, like we were saying before, I don't know how you have enough time to do everything that you do, but I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today. How's your day going? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this and it's going to be a great talk. Yeah, it's going to be great. First thing I wanted to talk to you about, Billy, and I'm sure you've gotten this question many times, is how did you ever get interested in the UFO phenomenon, kind of the paranormal? You're, you become an expert in that genre and just kind of curious where you got your passion from. You can tell when you anybody ever listens to an interview with you, whether you see you on TV, in film, or an interview on a podcast or a radio program, you can tell you got a lot of passion and you know what you're talking about. Just kind of curious where that came from. Yeah, thank Great question. Um, I was born in Queens, New York, but moved to Florida at a very early age, moved down in 1977 uh, to Miami. And we lived in Opelika, really close to the Opelika Airport, which is a small airport. Actually, that same airport was used in uh, Bad Boys 2, I believe, with uh, Will Martin Smith. Lawrence and, uh, Will Smith, yeah. Oh, yeah. They had a scene there. Uh, but but the, uh, the airport used to, you know, the planes, the small planes would fly over my house. So I would stand there in my backyard, just in the 70s. There's no, there's no video games. There's no, you know, no tablets to play on. No all-day cartoons. You got to go outside and play. And I used to just go outside and watch the planes go over the backyard. And one day, this object came across. And instead of it taking mi minutes, you know, to go from point A to point B, it cleared the horizon in seconds. And wow. it wasn't an airplane, in my, from my point of view as a kid, it didn't have a fuselage, it didn't have a tail, cockpit, uh, you know, all these things that I knew that a plane would have. It was more like an elongated object, not fully like a cigar shape, but like an oval, and it was glowing metal, and it went across the sky literally in seconds. And then it came back and it stopped, but when it came back, it was much lower, and then it just went out the way it came in. And I ran around, I ran in the house, I was like, I can't believe what I just saw. The word UFO didn't exist from in my, my vocabulary. Alien didn't exist yet in my vocabulary. Flying saucer didn't even exist. I just knew what I saw wasn't a plane. The next day, I went to the school, my, my elementary school, Rainbow Park Elementary, and I went to the library and I got all the Encyclopedia Britannicas on aerospace. And I started looking and researching aerospace from that exact moment and have, have never stopped since. Wow. <laughs> Delta wing, swept wing, 
Uh, you know, I went into the SR-71 Blackbird, believe it or not, back then they already had that information out. Uh, I started looking into all different types of ballistics and nothing I saw was what happened in my backyard. So it just took me on this path. That's crazy. So that you're about what, 10 years old when that happened, you said? Is that right? I know, I was seven. 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 Wow. And that's become a career path for you, which is amazing. So, and you've uh, definitely done well. Another thing I wanted to talk about the forbidden knowledge TV channel that you have that you can get on, you know, Apple TV, all the different streaming platforms. Can you talk about how you, how you got that going? And um, I think it's great that you're doing it. History channel and a few others does, you know, dabble in UFO stuff every once in a while, but I think it's great that you have a, an entire network just dedicated to that. So could you talk about yeah. that a little bit? I noticed that there was a thirst for this kind of information early on. And so before Netflix even existed, I had already created Forbidden Knowledge TV. Uh, and, but it was the wrong time. And so the, uh, the, the bandwidth fees for streaming videos off my own servers were through the roof. I mean, back then I was paying like 13, 1400 bucks a month for bandwidth. And that was only on 1 million views of, of a few videos. I kept going, if I expand this number and this thing really grows, I'm gonna be spending 30, 40 grand a month just on uh, streaming. So I, right. I turned it off <laughs> and I uh, paused it, but I kept paying for my name. You know, I kept paying for the name every year, the domain name. And then Netflix came and then Prime, Amazon Prime and then Hulu. And I said, okay, this stuff is pretty well established now. These prices have had to gone down. When I rechecked again, it was a lot more competitive and, and more conducive to making a profit. So then I relaunched Forbidden Knowledge TV uh, just now, uh, two years ago, almost two years ago, actually. Uh, and um, it was a huge success. And I just started off with putting a lot of UFO conferences on there, lectures and workshops that people have done from all around the world that nobody's ever seen because they could never afford to go to these things. And then I got some con contributions of content from some other researchers and people and get building, building, building. And then eventually got into making enough revenue to produce our own exclusive content for the platform. And now we're producing high, high, super high quality content. And we have over 6,000 shows total on the entire platform now. Well, yes, the quality is amazing. You guys have done a great job with that. It's right up there with all the network stuff that you see. And it's, it's definitely worth checking it out. And it's extremely affordable as the time, you know, while we're recording this, it's $7.77 a month, right? right. Anybody can yeah. afford that. That's... I paid more than that when I went to Starbucks last time for just right, one, yeah, one, one latte. So yes, 25 cents a day. I mean, if you can't afford 25 cents a day to invest in your own knowledge and wisdom and research, then you really probably not, you know, you really don't want it as bad. I think that's a reasonable number. And we found a number we thought that everyone could afford easily without feeling hurt, depending on no matter what the economy was doing uh, and something they can sustain. And so that's the number we came with. No, that's a great number. And you also have a lot of um, good personal development content on there too, I think. So it's not, uh, along with the UFO content, there's a, some great stuff to just kind of help people become better people, I think, which right, right. I think that's, especially in this day and age, is super important. A lot of people are overstressed and you guys have got some things on there that people can watch, relaxation type stuff, you know, meditation, all kinds of other things too. That's, I think that's really important. So thanks for doing that. One of the things I'm very excited about is your new, doc, your new documentary called The Black Knight Satellite Beyond the Signal. And that is about the Black Knight Satellite. First time I ever heard of the Black Knight Satellite was Jacques Vallée 
everybody knows him from you know he was the guy from close encounters the french guy that they kind of uh, patterned that character at or and he's been a ufo you know legend has probably written over 20 or 30 books over the last yeah. 20 30 years so he was the first one that ever mentioned that that i recall so how did you learn about the black knight satellite and how did you how were you able to to create this documentary i'm really excited about this yeah great question so in around 2012 i started researching anomalies coming down from the mars rover rovers actually plural the spirit rover opportunity rover and i started seeing anomalies on mars and so i started digging into this uh, space probe data satellite data and the more I dug into a lot of these space agencies' websites, I came across something interesting. Uh, somebody talking on a forum about the Black Knight satellite. And I'm like, the Black Knight satellite, that's a pretty interesting name. So I started researching and digging into that. And I actually was able to find the actual direct links to the anomaly on NASA.gov under the space junk sec section. <laughs> I said, this doesn't look like junk to me. Right. <laughs> you know? And when I finally realized I was able to analyze the size of this thing, um, it's massive. And I said, wow, there's something here. So little by little, I began to research and dig into it. And it didn't, it wasn't overnight. It took a few months of really digging deep to get all the little data points together. I wrote this huge blog about it back then. It was years ago. And uh, it just kept lingering in my mind. Like there's so much more to this. People don't even talk about it. They don't even exist. I wonder if I should, you know, do something else with this, like make it into a real production. And then one day about maybe four years ago, I stumbled across some amazing information when I was re researching the ancient Sumerian cuneiform tablets and the cylinder scrolls. And I found a connection, uh, well, or at least what I thought would be a connection to the Black Knight in ancient texts. And I said, wait a minute. Oh my goodness. This is mind blowing. If this object, this all seeing eye of Enlil, that can see everything on earth at any given moment and, and, and hear everything on earth uh, and knows all the geography and the topography and everything else, you would need a, a satellite in a polar orbit and the Black Knight is in a polar orbit. And I said, this could be it. And then I found it in the cylinder scroll and I said, this thing is linked. This is possibly a link. So that started my whole journey on another year of research. And then about three years ago, I said, I have to start, I have to make this into a documentary and bring this to the world. People need to see this and hear this. So I began putting together this all-star cast of researchers, everybody from astrophysicists, <clears throat> astrophysicists, scientists, uh, quantum physicists, uh, UFO researchers, radio hosts that you know that dabble into the paranormal and and and, um, and UFOs, uh, MUFON, you know, field researchers and spiritual people and people and that are experts in ancient civilizations, and I got them all together. Uh, and, you know, it took some time because of the, the, the sickness that swept the planet, slowed me down <laughs> or it had been done already. <laughs> right. But anyway, I still got it done. I, I didn't give up. And it, it's an amazing story. And people are going to really resonate with this information. And it's going to make them scratch their heads and open some eyes. Well, and what's really amazing, too, Billy, is you've got an all star lineup of guests there. If you look at your movie poster, it's like a who's who of people in the UFO oh, space and, like you said, science and everything. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the, the guests that you have? I know Richard yeah, Dolan, yeah. Jimmy Church, and some people like that, but you've got it just an all star lineup. I'd love to hear about how they got involved. Yeah, Alex Teplish, he's an author. Uh, he wrote a book about the Anunnaki, which became a bestseller. 
Uh, and he's a real wizard and uh, he understands the depth of the story in an uh, artistic way. So he made this illustrated novel, which has done very well, but he's really well versed in the tablets. And so I, he's a good friend of mine. And I said, hey, uh, you know, I'd love to have you in this documentary. He couldn't wait. Obviously, he was like, yes, please. I love to be in it. So Alex Tepish, Jamie Janover, he is a quantum physicist. He works with Nassim Haramain, if you know who that is. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So Nassim and him, they work together at their at their institute that they have. And uh, me and him or him and I, I should say, had been following each other for years on social media, had met briefly one time. And I just reached out to him through a direct message and said, hey, man. I'd like to bring the perspective of a scientist to talk about some quantum physics and some astrophysics, and he was well in. And then Roderick Martin, who is a, uh, he's been with MUFON for years. Uh, he's a field researcher with MUFON. He's, he's on a lot of new, now Travel Channel and Discovery Channel shows that just came out. Uh, and he's been on my podcast before. He, he couldn't wait to get in. I was able to find Duncan Lunan. Duncan Lunan is the journalist that wrote the Time Magazine article in 1960 about the Black Knight and was one of the original people to decode the signal coming from it, which led us to understand that it was uh, saying that it was from the Botus constellation. I thought he might've been gone, but I did dig, I dug and dug and dug and wow. found him and we tracked him down. I couldn't get to him personally because of the sickness, but right. I had somebody on that, side of the, on that side of the pond go knock on his door. <laughs> That's and, crazy. Uh, he was reluctant, but he agreed to sit down and talk for a little while. So we got him in the documentary and he signed all the releases and everything. So it was great. Wow. Chris Moroni researches uh, Mars anomalies. He's one of the top researchers in the world on Mars anomalies. And he's part of my United Family of Anomaly Hunter group. And he helped, he's, a, he's an integral part of the documentary because of his analysis of the blanket theory. And he debunks the debunking of, of the uh, Black Knight. Uh, and then Eric Von Daniken, the granddaddy of them all. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Eric Grandanikin, very good friend of mine. You know, of course, Chariots of the God author, 88 million copies sold worldwide in every language. Uh, but again, a very good friend of mine. I've been at workshops, conferences, and lectures with him, and he jumped right on. And Randy Weitenheimer, who I didn't personally know, personally know before this, my producer knew him. He's a quantum physicist, which we had to bring some real science to this. Mark D'Antonio, who I didn't know as well, but through my through my producer. We got him. He's an astrophysicist that does stuff for the Navy and the Marines. Uh, Jimmy Church. Everybody knows Jimmy. iHeartRadio, JimmyChurchRadio.com. He's a, he's a, a big, big time uh, person in the space of UFO, UAPs, and paranormal. And uh, Freddie Silva, who's an uh, expert on ancient civilizations. He's in a lot of shows. He's in my, the show that I'm in with, uh, with Gaia Ancient Civilizations. And he's been on dozens and dozens of shows. Um, some of his documentaries are on my TV platform. Four of his exclusive documentaries, we actually own the rights to. They're on Forbidden Knowledge TV. And he gives a perspective from the ancient side. And then we have Thomas Jensen, who was a researcher of anomalies uh, and also uh, paranormal. Uh, Richard Dolan, who, I mean, that name himself, he's a best-selling author. He's an expert in UAPs, UFOs. Um, very credible source there. Sonia Grace, who's an indigenous Native American who gave the spiritual aspect or spiritual side uh, from her perspective. And Steve Mera, a researcher out of the UK, uh, who is uh, well known for researching UFO and UAP activity and, and uh, also paranormal. Uh, Johnny Enoch, an expert in ancient civilizations. 
who's been on many guy shows as, as long as, as well as Ancient Civilizations with me. Uh, I just got two more shows from him, exclusive Forbidden Knowledge TV series shows that are going up in a couple of months. Patrick Jackson, who's an expert in um, paranormal, and through, through my producer, we met him. Um, and then, of course, uh, you have me. So it's a, it's a big cast. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm sure it would be hard to probably get everybody in that short amount of time for a movie, right? So you probably had a, a lot of fun in the editing, you know, trying to trying to make sure you got everything in there that you needed to, to get in there. And there's probably enough information for a part two, too, I would think. Oh, all yeah, there's way more. Oh, man, it's so, it, this could be four hours, you know, six right. hours, you know, just too much. But you got to give your best hour and a half. Yeah, no, it's a, it's exciting. I can't wait to see it. Um, I don't want any to give away any spoilers. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have the same question: is the is that satellite still in orbit, or did somebody take it down, or did a government try to take it down, or just kind of curious if it's still floating around up there? I believe it's still there, and one of the reasons why they would not try to blow it up or remove it is because they don't they do not know its uh, defense capabilities and so if you have an object it's logical you know if you're military and there's an object that's monitoring and orbiting for thousands of years and you've identified it uh you have identified the signal and nsa documents which we cover in the documentary um you try to communicate with it but you wouldn't try to destroy it because you don't know if that will transmit back to home base bring the cavalry <laughs> and we're not ready for that right you know? The only weapons we have on this planet are the ones that we have pointed at ourselves. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and it, it's probably a monitoring device, like you said. We send um, probes to Mars and all all the other planets, so you can yeah. see another civilization doing that. Plus, when we started popping nukes on this planet, there was a huge increase in UFO phenomena. Right, you know, yeah. I think we're on the seventy fifth anniversary of the famous um, photo that was taken in Washington. Um, you know what, Kenneth Arnold, sorry. Yeah, over the White House. <laughs> yep, exactly. And then they buzz the White House. So, you know, they might be monitoring us to see what are we doing if we start, you know, doing stupid stuff like exactly. you know, popping nukes and doing really dumb things to each other. They, that might be a red flag to them that maybe they need to come here and intercede or something, right? Right. Well, I definitely would want to monitor if I was an advanced race. We do the same thing as aliens do to animals on this earth. So we will go to the jungle. We'll create what we call a hide. We'll blend in with the background. We'll have our cameras. We'll hide cameras in their dens, in their living places, and we'll spy on them without them knowing about it. And then we even alien abduct the animals by shooting them with a dart, knocking them out, and we take them away. We probe their bodies, and then we take samples out of their bodies, just like the gray aliens supposedly do. And then we tag them and put an alien uh, you know, thing. We insert an alien device into them so we can track them, right? And we put an implant in them and then we release them back to the wild. They, they have their lost time. They're, they're, they're delusional. They don't know where they are, where time, where time went by. They, they get themselves back into their, you know, their pride or whatever it is that they're going to. And then we still watch and track them ongoing to see what's happening. So we're doing that to animals on earth, but above us at a higher level, somebody's doing the same thing to us. Right. Yeah. It, it makes sense, especially when you, when you read about the accounts of abductions that it's, it's exactly like you said, they're, you know, they're drug, it's like they're drugged and then they have lost time and then they show up, you know, on a rock by a Creek somewhere and don't know how they got there. Right. Just like a animal you know, that was tracked and, you know, right. would tag the same way. So that totally makes sense. 
so once i'm glad that they didn't blow it out of the sky yet so that's good <laughs> but yeah, it, good. This is, it just doesn't make any sense because you just don't know if that thing can send a signal via a quantum entangled uh signal which means it can travel faster than the speed of light the information the the, the, the transmission can get back to home base instantly and you blow it up it's too late it can see the missile or whatever it is coming the projectile coming it'll transmit back to home base hey uh yeah we got a problem and then all right. of a sudden we got a real problem so you were saying people picked up the signal on earth is that sending an rf signal it, because um if they were picking it up in the 60s were they just visually catching it or were they catching radio waves off of it radio waves uh ham radio operators were collecting the signal and decoding it oh wow okay yes, yeah. so that, it, it, i can tell you this it gave up the location of epsilon botus but where it was in the sky 13,000 years ago. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah, Jeez. So, so um, anything else exciting you can tell us about the movie, Billy, before it comes out? Um, well, you know, I mean, when they, when they see how I linked the ancient civilizations and who actually owns this constellation, it's going to blow their minds. Because yes, when I say a person owns it, yes, owns it. There are people that own planets, people that own solar systems, people that own constellations. Uh, and when they hear it, when they find out who it is, they're going to be their minds going to be blown. So pe people on Earth are, are alien races. These alien people, these alien races, these advanced Atlantean beings that have this intergalactic civilization that they have. Um, one one of the planets in that civilization used to be Earth. Now it's Earth is more like an abandoned seed colony. Oh right, okay, that makes sense. Jeez. Well, definitely can't wait to watch the movie, so I'm excited. I know you have the premiere coming up too, um, over by Detroit, right? So I bet yeah. kind of a red carpet event coming up. Oh, I can't wait. That is uh, actually this Sunday coming. It'll be June 5th at the Imagine Movie Theater uh, in Royal Oak, just outside of Detroit. Uh, if you're going to come in, the airport is DTW. Go to Imagine with the letter, letter E, Imagine Theaters. Uh, two o'clock to seven o'clock, we'll be there. Red carpet, photos, interviews, the whole works. Uh, then we'll watch uh, some previews of some new shows we have coming out. We'll watch the documentary, and then I'll do an hour of Q&A afterwards, and then we'll go get some dinner. Oh, that's awesome. So if, yeah. if you're in the Detroit area, you plan to travel out there, um, definitely stop by and I think it'd be a really fun time for everyone, for sure. That's awesome. Great. Yeah. I wanted to tie, um, wrap around and talk a little bit about Egypt, because you said you got, um, I know you've done um, different trips to Egypt and some of the other sites, like um, I've been to Tulum down in Mexico. Um, and some of those sites are just amazing when you see them in person. What did you, what have you learned from some of those ancient sites that have helped you with your current you know ufo knowledge and what you're learning today what it's helped me with it's helped me to understand that uh to really the biggest link is that the civilizations that we're looking at were global but not only global uh i made that link on, early on that they were a global civilization but that they were also interplanetary because as i started to look at the way these structures were built i've been to tulum teotihuacan chitsun itza all down into yucatan uh, down into South America, down all of the, down into Peru, and of course all the way throughout Africa and and Cambodia. I mean, I've been all over the world, and all these places have structures that look like the same type of anomalies that we see on Mars. Why is this? So we're talking about an interplanetary civilization 
a civilization that wasn't just on Earth. And what I've also been able to learn from going around the world and seeing these sites is that Atlantis was just the one that they're talking about that they think is the whole thing, the ring city, that was just one capital. That was, that was a small piece of Atlantis. Atlantis was the entire planet. So no matter where you went on Earth, you were on Atlantis. You're, at, you're on Atlantis. I'm on Atlantis right now. Atlantis is beneath our feet. And so uh, it's, a really, it's a real amazing story. Yeah, I'm sure you remember Richard Hoagland. I don't know if he's still around, but he used to talk a lot about the, you know, that type of thing where there were civilizations on Mars, where the moon is not what people think it is. And there are actual like battle marks or scars on a lot of these planets in our solar system yeah. from what he believed was like an intergalactic war back in the day. Are, do you believe in that? And are, do you think that Richard Hoagland was on the right track with what he was talking about? I believe in 1000%. I've done the research myself now. I've analyzed a lot of these moonlets and a lot of these moons that orbit Jupiter and Saturn. Um, and just looking at them, you can see that some of them appear to be artificial. Even looking at our moon, you can look at the ground penetrating radar data from usgs.gov and it's clear as day. There's no Photoshop needed to take away contrast or anything. You just download the USGS deep penetrating radar imagery website and look at the moon you can see beneath the surface, there's steel beams down there. What in the world are those beams doing beneath the surface? And when you analyze the moon's surface, you see that those craters, they all appear to be just about the same depth. Right. And they all, a lot of them don't have any ejecta around their edge of the ring. Where's the ejecta? Where did it go? There's no ejecta. Uh, and then there's nothing coming in in angles. You mean to tell me every single rock that hit the moon hit it straight on and made a perfect circle, nothing hit and slid into this place? So there's something strange with all those craters up there. Right. Oh, and I, and this is common knowledge. You can find this on NASA websites. Um, they say when they landed on the moon that it rang like a bell, like it was hollow or something. There's tons of documentation about that where that doesn't make sense if it's a planetary body that it would ring or have a hollow noise to it. So there's, there's definitely something going on with the moon. I don't know what it is, but do you think the government probably has people up there now, you know, working underground or something or? There's a lot going on. Well, if you look at the Clementine mission that went to the moon, it was a military, top secret military mission that's been declassified. It sent the low lunar orbiting satellite to the moon. And this, this satellite was named Clementine. And when I saw the name, I initially said, oh man, this thing never came back. I guarantee you because the song Clementine, oh my darling Clementine, you were lost and gone forever. Old country <laughs> song. Right. So I said, man, this thing, you know, uh, I'm aging myself now. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I said, this thing is gone. When I looked at it and dug and dug and dug into the data, guess what? It never came back. It crashed into something on the dark side of the moon and never returned. However, it did send back about 20 gigs of images, which are available on NASA.gov. And when I downloaded the images, my mind said, I'm talking about incredible anomalies, things that look like vehicles on the surface, things that look like structures on the surface. Um, and it's all up there. And some things that look, a thing that looks like a, a partially destroyed structure. So it's pretty interesting, man. It's wild, wild stuff. And so the, the government knows what's going on up there. Uh, there is a, every single day, there's a laser transmission directed at the moon to a, uh, a, uh, a dish that we left behind on one of the moon missions. And they're transmitting data back and forth from to and from the moon. It's publicly available information. Not what they're saying, but at least that they are transmitting this information back and forth. They won't tell you what they're saying, though. 
But why are they communicating with the moon? Why are you sending data transmission to the moon via laser daily? So there's some kind of communication going on in the ancient Sumerian tablets. These people, these Anunnaki people, they went to the moon and they stayed there for a little while. Not all of them, but some of them went there. They had to put on their eagle's mask. That's that helmet that looks like, makes them look like they have an eagle's face. That's a helmet. It's not really a bird's face. And they put it on because uh, the atmosphere was uh, thin. Uh, and they went to the moon and they were casing it out, but they stayed there for quite some time before they returned because they had been building a civilization there. I mean, we don't know. It doesn't get too deep into exactly what they were doing up there, but they did, according to the ancient Sumerian tablets, they visited the moon. You know, I always thought it was interesting that we have we had the Hubble telescope. We put it out in space. Why don't we turn another one on the moon and give us high definition, you know, pictures of what's going on on the moon, you know, like we have Google Earth, right? It would be pretty, you know, our technology is there. Or we could do that pretty easily. And I don't know why we haven't done that yet, other than it seems like they're hiding something, you know, yeah. just well, they don't want to look at it quickly. Yeah. So you, Apollo, Apollo 10 went around the moon on the dark side of the moon when you, you're out of comms range because obviously the moon is between you and the earth. So you're out of comms range for a period of time. But during the time they were out of comms range, somebody hacked into their comms on the dark side of the moon and they all were freaking out. And that's on the released black box audio of the Apollo 10 that you can download right on NASA.gov. They didn't even redact it. They're freaking out because something hacked into their comms and it's playing this sound into their comms. It almost sounded like music. And it was coming from the moon's surface. That's crazy. And then and there, there was a reference to Santa Claus, I remember too, or something like that on one of them that right before they went dark or they took the audio offline, like it was supposed to be code word for, for like an anomaly or UFO or anomaly. something. And there was um, three... Um, objects they saw i've interviewed edgar mitchell back in the day and he said you know he used to say some interesting things about that too so yeah there's definitely some anomalies for sure i also wanted to talk a little bit billy about antarctica just because it seems to be a, a lot in the news lately what are your thoughts on what's going on down there and why is that such a why do we have like from the u.s government we've got a worldwide audience um yeah but there always seems to be these government leaders like John Kerry that will travel to Antarctica. That doesn't make sense to me. Why do you have people, yeah, you know, yeah. with the U.S. government making trips to Antarctica, which, according to them, is just a big wasteland like the movie The Thing? Yeah, yeah. It's not a wasteland. There's a lot of world leaders that have gone to Antarctica. So Antarctica was in a different location geologically on the Earth. Uh, and so... We know this because one of the main reasons they're down there is because as the ice melts, all this ancient civilization fully intact is appearing. And that's why when they find animals down there, they take the animals and do a little autopsy. When they cut them open, they have undigested food in their stomach. That means they were flash frozen. So what that means is that Antarctica, Antarctica is sitting on a tectonic plate that was probably closer to the equator, right? And then those tectonic plates, one of them slipped. And when it slipped, it moved rapidly into the position that it's at now. And that rapid movement would create a partial global flood because of the sheer mass moving across that amount of water. And that amount of water flood coming back over the top of the land as it's in a much colder location would then freeze. And so now you've got frozen water turns into a gigantic ice block on top of, a, on top of an entire civilization probably within 48 hours gone, just like that. And so now 
oh, we go down there. Well, you know, obviously the Germans went down there first and found some stuff and started working on these Hannibal craft. And then all of a sudden, you know, we go down there and snoop around and we get attacked. Now, this is like a place of interest. So now we go back down. If you look at Google Earth now, you'll find that there's bases all around this wide opening, about 35 meter wide opening in Antarctica and deep far behind it to the right, there's a gigantic pyramid. <laughs> and but you can see all the major bases of all the different countries on Earth, the G7 countries are there, except for one, which is the Rockefeller Foundation. They're all labeled. You can clearly see it. It's a no war zone. You can't fight there, but it is protected by military. So nobody else can come in. And I want to know, what are they researching? Now, Buzz Aldrin went there a few years ago, and he went down there into that hole with these research teams. He came back and got on Twitter while he was still there and typed in something about we're facing the ultimate evil. Okay. And that tweet blew up instantly, became millions of screen shares and copies and retweets. And then he took it down, or they probably forced him to take it down. And then they said, Buzz Aldrin is feeling sick. We're going to fly him home. And they sent him home. But meanwhile, everybody had already copied that tweet. It was too late. Something is going on down there that scared the living daylights out of him. Right. So yeah. what do you think it is? Do you, you think that there's like an alien base there, old artifacts, or do you think it's um, advanced uh, technology that we're using or we discovered and we're kind of reverse engineering down there? Yeah, I think we're re reverse engineering ancient technology and that we're getting, but I think we're getting help from these beings that used to be here. And how I feel that is because I went to training class with Major Ed Dames. I took three classes with him in remote viewing. And uh, each class was about 16 hours. In one of the classes, towards the end of the class, he disclosed to me his own words that there's the base in Antarctica where these, uh, uh, some of these people live, these Anunnaki people or these Atlantean people live, he said. And they can come and go as they please. And that the military and the US government and some other world governments are well aware of it and are, are, and are in contact with them. That was his statement, not mine. So I believe that they probably are down there maybe negotiating, uh, working out deals, maybe some advanced weaponry, whatever it is, it's something that scared the heck out of Buzz uh, and definitely something that's well worth for them to keep completely silent and quiet for the rest of the global population. Yeah, well, it's definitely an area of interest and it will be interesting if any footage comes out of there or if we can you know see you know aircraft i know what you're talking about with the nazi stories where they went you know there's a stories where um they went down there and tried to you know engage the nazis and they had some pretty advanced spacecraft that kind of obliterated everything the u.s had back in the 50s after world war ii right yeah yeah admiral Byrd, he took a whole fleet down there and turned turned around and, and went home with his tail between his legs they killed uh Quite a few American, uh, you know, Navy men, and um, they won pretty easily. He said in an interview afterwards, he said in a press, in a, in a, in a uh, what do you call it, a press release, not a press release, but a, a press session or whatever. He said that we're facing a new enemy, one that could fly from pole to pole, you know, which is interesting because the Black Knight flies from pole to pole. <laughs> oh, right, exactly. And if you read any of the To the Stars Academy stuff, one of their books has a whole big section about the, how they engaged the Nazis down there in Antarctica. So, you know, a lot of people that, that founded that have got some military ties. So you'd think that they would know what they're talking about, right? Yep, absolutely. Before we run out of time here, Billy, I'd like to just touch bases and see, you know, what do you have in the upcoming future? I know you've got a lot of exciting things business-wise going on. There's also, I'm sure, a lot of great movie content and 
uh, content on your channel and other things coming up. So can you give our audience a kind of a taste of what's what's on your horizon? A lot of great stuff going on right now. Forbidden Knowledge Inc. is not just an Instagram account. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot more than that, if you didn't know. Uh, it's a streaming TV network uh, with over 6,000 shows on it right now. And quality of the content is increasing on a daily basis, producing full-blown documentaries, movies. We have 10 new complete series, TV series, exclusive to Forbidden Knowledge. Their original series are in post-editing right now. They're already filmed. They're in post-editing. Uh, and we've made a commitment to do two big documentaries a year and one movie a year, as well as uh, 10 to 12 new TV series every single year. Uh, so that's a huge commitment that we're taking on. We've been raising funds through our Reg CF with the SEC in round one. Uh, our company valuation came in at 20 million. Within 90 days, it had grown from our subscription base and all the other revenue that had been pulled in from our book publishing and our e-commerce, uh, it went to $30 million. And the share price went up to $1.50, which is what it is right now. There's only about 48 hours uh, to buy shares for the general public as we are now made the official announcement just the other day the press release went out that we are reaching for NASDAQ first quarter of 2021 will be a publicly traded company and anybody who owns shares, their shares will roll into that NASDAQ offering. So we're pretty excited. A lot of big things on the horizon for forbidden knowledge, great opportunities. We have our own social media app, Unite the 99, uh, which is a free social media app. So you can post content with no algorithm. And we're looking forward to just continue to put out great content and videos and um, and, you know, just raising awareness on the planet. Yeah. And you've made it very easy for people to enjoy that content too, because I think everybody's got an Apple TV or a fire, um, yeah. stick, all the you know, Roku, all the different streaming platforms, you guys pretty much have them all covered. So it's as easy as just going into the app store and looking up forbidden knowledge TV and downloading the app and then signing up. It's great. I love it. It's so yeah. it's really we'll be good. on Samsung TVs very soon as well. Oh, that's on, awesome. Man. Yeah, yeah so you guys will be everywhere. So, everywhere. and I think I know young people today, Billy. I won't give away my age, but people my son's age and younger, they consume content differently than we did. You know, we grew up watching TV. You know, the the major networks and going there, and and you know, you had to sit down and watch, you know, Cheers or whatever at a certain time, or you know, Bonanza or Star Trek. It was all you know, you had to be there when it showed. But now everybody likes to consume the content when it works for them. So yeah. you've done a great job of making it available when people want to look at it. You know, which is kind of around their own schedule, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's important too, because some of the stuff we have up there is, you know, I did a 36 hour uh, Egyptian mystery school on the TV network, which is the number one viewed series. I think it's 40 episodes total, but you, nobody can just see, you know, so you have time to take it, watch a little bit. You can rewatch where you left off automatically. It knows where you left off. And you can even download the episodes into your device, your tablet, you know, your phone, whatever you have. In case you're traveling on an airplane with no Wi-Fi or you're in a remote area where there's no Wi-Fi or poor signal, you can still watch the shows. So it's pretty cool. It's just like a Netflix app, but it's all conscious. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. And you're going back to Egypt in October, right? Yeah, going back to we're taking 66 people with us in October of this year. Going to be a big, huge forbidden tour of Egypt. I can't wait. Mind blowing information there. We're going to change some people's lives go into some hidden places that nobody knows about and can, can hardly get into. And it'll be a VIP tour. Uh, I'll have private access to a lot of the, uh, the megaliths, the temples, the, you know, the pyramids and so forth. There'll be no tourists around. It'll be just us 
and I'm going to get access to the brand new museum that's not even open to the public yet, we'll be able to go in just my group alone a week before it even opens. Well, we'd love to have you on the show if you want to do a live <laughs> from e Egypt. I think that'd be super cool, especially because it's, I think Egypt, for I don't know what reason, is embedded in everybody's consciousness. When I was yes. a little kid, I used to draw, when I was a little kid in school, I used to draw little pyramids uh, the whole time when I was bored at school. And I, I don't even know why I did it. I just would always do it. And it was, I think there's something about that, you know, you were talking about Tulum and the, the other Egyptian sites. Yeah. When you're there in person, there is an energy that you feel that I don't, it taps into something with most people. And that's why I think it's cool that you're going there in person. People experience it. They're usually not the same afterwards, right? No, they're not the same. You just can't be when you stand next to the, those megaliths and you see it with your own eyes, because there's no photo that can do any justice. You know, your, your own eye and being there is like, it's 10 times better. And the energy, like you say, you can feel the energy. You know, when you stand next to the Great Pyramid, there's so much mass there with those two million blocks. Time actually slows down. You experience time dilation. So, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's microns of a second, but time slows down when you're standing next to the Great Pyramid. Just to knowing that you're, you're time traveling, just standing next to this thing, it's incredible. People are crazy to think that years ago, ancient people were able to align these to constellations and yeah. all the mathematics involved in that, you know, there had to be. Um, you know, superior knowledge of yeah. the solar system and everything, because just random people putting a pyramid together would not get all that math and everything right that you'd need to do to, yeah. to even get a structure like that built and get it to still be um, where it is now. And, you know, all the different holes that you can look through and see Orion and everything like that. There's just some crazy stuff there that people don't realize, I think. Yeah. Incredible alignments. And they use meters, by the way. And people go, well, how, how can that be? Because meters didn't come out until, no, meters are ancient. We only read this. Everything we have now is a rediscovery. So meters have been around. Matter of fact, they discovered proto-Sumerian cuneiform tablets depicting a rudimentary meter metric system long before anything was here. Wow. I did not know that. That's crazy. Jeez, well, that's wild. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, Billy. Thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Make sure to check out the Black Knight Satellite Beyond the Signal. It'll be on Forbidden Knowledge TV the following Monday. So probably maybe Monday or Tuesday. So by June 7th or 8th, it'll be available exclusively on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv with the number four, ForbiddenKnowledge.tv or the short version, 4BK.tv. We'll take you right to it. Great. And we'll put links in the show notes too, so everybody can link to that. So thanks for your time today, Billy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain UFO Podcast with Doc Pearson.